We'll continue on with our series, Follow, going through the Sermon on the Mount. We have a few more weeks in this series. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are worthy of our time, worthy of our praise, worthy of giving our lives for. God, you are worthy of modeling our life after, modeling of, of you're worthy of following after. You are worthy of everything that we are. You are worthy of of being changed for. You are worthy of, of following after King Jesus as you have called us to follow after you and you have modeled that so well. Jesus, thank you for this text. Thank you for your Sermon on the Mount. God, you have modeled what a what a follower looks like, what someone who, who desires to be changed by you and be led by you looks like. King Jesus, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, <clears throat> that we would see your glory and your beauty through these five verses. God, that we would fall more in love with you. God, that we would be passionate about your glory, passionate about your kingdom, passionate about making disciples. God, I pray that we would trust in you completely as our good Father, that we would love you, trust you more and more each and every day. God, that we would ask and seek and knock. God, that we would be people who are about prayer, who are about trusting in you more than anything else. King Jesus, make us new. Make us more like you. Again, we pray for these two men in Malaysia, God, we pray that you change hearts like only you can. Open up their eyes that they would see your beauty and know you with the eyes of their heart as Job proclaimed in, in Job 42. God, I pray the same for us in here today. That you would open up our hearts, open up our minds. God, that again, we would see your glory and your beauty and leave this place loving you more than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, uh, just a recap of last week. Last week, of course, was on judging, right? A difficult topic to look at. And if you were in Sunday school in a few of the classes today that went over that, it's a difficult topic to discuss, uh, an even more difficult topic to look at ourselves and say, we do those same things, right? We judge, we struggle with wanting to put ourselves in the place of God. Um, we struggle ultimately with the same sin that Adam and Eve struggled with, wanting to be in the place of God. The same sin that, that cast uh, Lucifer out of heaven, right? Wanting to be in the place of God. And, and even today, here we are <coughs> many, many years later, and we're still struggling with those, those same things. We still struggle with this issue of the heart, ultimately, that we want to be our own God. We want to be our own captain. We want to be our own hero. And so we go and judge others. And so we, we don't trust God with things, with necessary things like food or clothing or these things as Jesus has been talking about, as he's been preaching about in this sermon on the mount. And this idea of asking comes after these. It's interesting where Jesus places uh, this, this subject, this topic in this sermon about asking and seeking and knocking Right, right after not judging others, he calls us to not judge others. Right after not worrying about things. 
right after he calls us to fast and to pray and to give, to trust God completely with what we need on a daily basis. And again, then he calls us not to judge. And right after, immediately after verse 6, when it says, Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. We jump right into verse 7 where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. So Jesus uses this, this picture um, of, of asking and seeking and knocking to, to point us to something, to point us to this trust in him, to, to prayer, to focusing on him. Again, this sermon, we have to remember, the Sermon on the Mount centers around the Lord's Prayer. right? And the Lord's Prayer centers around God's will being done, God's kingdom coming. right? And Jesus gives us this model of how to pray, how to focus on God. So how do we do these things like fasting, not trusting in food over God? How do we do things like giving, not trusting in money over God? How do we trust in things like praying, not trusting in our own efforts over God? How do we do things like not judge others, not putting ourselves in the place of God? It's only through God's will being done within us, only through that prayer, only through asking and seeking and knocking as Christ calls us to. So now after Jesus tells us don't judge, Jesus tells us not to trust in material things, Jesus now goes into ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. The point of this is prayer. Right? We are to trust in God for the things we need. And as we'll talk about here in a little bit, it's not just talking about physical, material things. Because Jesus wants us to move beyond that. We are too often caught up and focused on material things, things of this world. Our prayers often focus on that. We'll get to that in a minute. One of the greatest tragedies, though, is prayerlessness. One of the greatest tragedies of the church is prayerlessness, right? Jesus clearly calls us multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, multiple times throughout his earthly life to pray, pray, pray. And he's telling us this three times here, ask, seek, and knock, right? Pray, trust in God. And yet we as the church, not just talking about this church, but the capital C church, we struggle with this idea of praying, with this idea of trusting in God. We struggle with, with taking time to focus completely on Him and, and realizing that it's not about us. That it's not about my efforts. It's not about your efforts. It's about Christ and His kingdom and His glory and His will. And we struggle with those things. We struggle with focusing on those things. I see it within even my own heart. When I hear someone say things like, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And that prick in your own heart that we have to realize it really isn't about us. We want it to be. From the time we're born, we're told it is. The things that we do point that it is, point to the fact that it is about us, that we try to make it about us, when in reality it's about Christ. And, and so prayerlessness shows that. Again, prayerlessness reveals things about our hearts. Prayerlessness shows a lack of trust in God to be our all in all. If we don't ask and seek and knock, what we're saying is, God, you really aren't my provider. You're really not 
all that I need. God, I think you're, you're cool, but you stay in this little box over here. And the rest of my life, I'm going to go forth with my efforts and show people how great I can be. That's what prayerlessness says within our own lives. Prayerlessness shows that we trust in our own efforts over Christ's grace. If we believe that Jesus' grace that he has given to us is what fuels us for, the, for this life, is what leads us to be able to live out a walk uh, of faith to, that leads us to be able to walk as a follower of Jesus, why do we not pray more and focus completely on him? Why are we so caught up, and I see this within my own heart, caught up with our own efforts? Why are we so caught up? Again, judgment. We can go back and, and just look at the, the last six verses when Jesus tells us not to judge. Why do we judge in the first place? To try to justify our own actions? When Christ has already called us clean and already called us made new and already clo- has clothed us in his righteous robes, and yet we still look and yearn for more. Prayerlessness does that same thing. When we don't pray, we say, God, your grace is great and all, but I need something more. And while none of us as evangelical Christians would say that, we live that out practically. I do in my own life. When I don't pray, when I don't trust in his grace, when I trust in my own efforts, when I don't ask and seek and knock, I'm saying, Jesus, it's about me and my efforts right now and not about you and your grace. Prayer definitely changes us, changes us from the inside out when we realize it is about God, it isn't about me. Just some, some stats, for example, we could look at marriage. We all hear the stat that one in two marriages end in divorce in our modern culture. Well, Pew Research did a, did a, uh, a research project a few years ago, and they found out that, of course, 50%, 51% of marriages today do end in divorce. But couples that are believers, right, that pray with each other and pray for each other at least four times a week. So this was the study they did. They went and found couples that prayed for and with each other at least four times a week. And they found that this, this astounding stat that not one in two couples get divorced. One in every 1,156 couples get divorced of couples who pray with and for each other at least four times a week. And obviously I'm not a huge fan of stats, but that is a huge gap of couples who are praying with and for each other and couples who do not pray with one another. Couples who are focused on their own efforts or couples who are focused on Christ's grace to lead them in just their marriage, for example. That shows some of the power of prayer. It shows that when we are not people of prayer, we are not focused on Christ's grace. We are not focused on asking and seeking and knocking, trusting in his help for all of this. Right? So Jesus calls us to do all these things in the Sermon on the Mount and then asks, tells us to ask, seek, and knock. And that's the part we often leave out. We often say, okay, I have to do this. I have to fast. I have to give. I have to do these things. I have to not judge. But when we don't base it all on prayer focusing on Christ's grace. We miss the entire point, right? Jesus is telling us, basically, we can't do this on our own. We must be changed by him. We must be led by him. And he tells us that, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, 
it will be opened. And as we do this, so right, we've, we've established prayerlessness is a great tragedy of the church. We must be people of prayer. We should be people of prayer. People who have been changed by Jesus and who have received much grace are people who are wanting to live their lives based on prayer, based on focusing on Christ and his efforts, his completed work. So as we continue to realize that we need Jesus more than anything, right? So, so when we pray, we're going to realize it really is all about Christ. We really do need Jesus more than food or clothing or money or our own efforts, right? We realize those things. As we continue to realize that more and more, we will begin to trust him more, asking him for the things that we need, right? So, so think of in your marriage, for example, right? When you first got married, you trust that other person, yes, but not fully like you do now, right? The more that you grow with one another, the more that you spend time with that person, talking to that person, the more you should, a good marriage, learn to trust them more. Likewise, the more we pray, the more we focus on God, the more we say it is all about Him, the more time we spend with Him, the more we will learn to trust Him. And the more we will learn to trust Him with the things that we need in our everyday lives, that is... Talking first about physical needs, right? There's a reason why Jesus calls us to fast and to give and to pray. He's telling us don't focus on food. You don't need food to live. I heard, and one of my youth told when I said that, they said, well, yeah, you do because you'll, you'll die. Yes, you will die, but you will also live, right? Because we know true life doesn't come through bread. True life comes through the bread of life. And we're not talking about an earthly focus. Again, we're talking about eternal life. Again, Jesus is is showing us this through fasting, I mean through uh, tithing also, right? You don't need money. Money should not control your heart. Money should not grip your heart. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus tells us. So, So tithing and giving teaches us that, that it is all about Christ and prayer, asking and seeking and knocking again, does something within our own hearts that shows it is about Jesus. It is not about my efforts and what I can do and how great I can be. It is all about Christ. So there is there is absolutely something there about physical needs, but I think Jesus wants us to see even deeper than that. Right? He's not just talking about asking and seeking and knocking for physical things. Or else he wouldn't have put this in the place where he put it, right after not judging others, right after not worrying about things, right? Not being anxious. Christ is calling us to something deeper than that. And in church, we often focus on, and I hear it within our prayers, we often focus on physical needs. And I'm not saying that we should not pray for physical needs, health issues or travel concerns or job issues, financial issues, whatever. We should pray about those. But that should not be the depth of our prayer. That's oftentimes as deep as we go. That's oftentimes what our, what our prayer life looks like. And our prayer life will oftentimes reveal what our heart yearns for. And Jesus is calling us to something much greater, much deeper than that. The more we begin to ask and seek and knock, the more we trust in Christ, the more we will begin to realize what we really need is to be more like Jesus. 
What we really need is not physical things, things on this earth. What we really need is a heart change. What we really need is a, is a spiritual issue, not a physical issue. What we really need is more Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus. We must be changed like Jesus. We will begin to see that the more we fast and pray and give, and the more that we ask and seek and knock, the more that we focus on Christ, we will begin to see that my real need is not a financial issue. It's not a health issue. It's not anything on this earth. It's within my heart. I really need to be changed to become more like Christ. I really need to be sanctified, to be led by the Spirit. I really need to be made more like Him. That is my greatest need. Our greatest issue is not something physical. Our greatest need is something spiritual. To be led by the Spirit. And again, I'm not talking about just that one decision you made when you were six, when you walked down the aisle. This is an everyday life thing. You must ask yourself this question every day. Do I desire to be like Jesus today? Do I want to follow after Him? It's a daily question, right? There's a reason why Luke tells us to, uh, or uh, Jesus tells us to in Luke, to pick up our cross daily and follow after him. It's a daily decision that we make. The question is, do we desire and love Jesus? Do we desire to become like him more today? We have to ask ourselves that question. Those are the things we should be praying about. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. When we ask, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need to be made more like you. Change me. When we, when we approach God in repentance, he will ask, and it will be given to you. He doesn't say, maybe. Right? Knock. Or seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open again. I have to remember when Jesus is saying everyone there, he is talking about God's children, right? He is talking about those who are in Christ. We have to look at the context around of, of who he's, he's calling to ask and to seek and knock. And God will not turn away his children. Right? Unlike so many earthly fathers, and here in a little bit we're going to talk about God's fatherhood, right? God being our father. Unlike many earthly fathers, and, and I don't know, uh, all of your situations, right? What kind of earthly father you may have had. But unlike any earthly father, he will never turn us away. He will never disappoint us. He will never, to something that he desires to give us, say no. Right? Ask. Seek and knock. And we will talk a little more about that in depth here in a minute. Asking and trusting in God for things that we need is completely countercultural. It's completely different from what the world tells us to do as well. Right? The world says, trust in your own efforts. Be all that you can be. Be your own captain. You go and, and work as hard as you can and make all the money that you can and be the best at whatever your craft is. And you go and do that on your own. And that's completely counter what Scripture calls us to. When Scripture tells us that we can't do it on our own. We must be led by Christ. We must be changed by Christ. And this life is not, again, not about us. It is about Jesus. Jesus is it. When I read Galatians 1 or Ephesians 1 or Philippians 2, I realize Jesus is it. That's what, we should, that's what we should see 
through through Scripture, throughout uh, throughout His Word from Genesis to Revelation, that it is about Christ. Therefore, when we see it's about Christ, that will cause us, that should cause us and drive us to go to our knees and to ask and to seek and to knock, to focus on Him and to live as people of prayer, to live as people who focus on Christ and His kingdom and His glory. And asking and seeking and knocking should be persistent and continual. Right? This isn't just a one-time thing. I heard a prosperity gospel preacher one time say, uh, you just ask and then you just have to believe it and you never ask that thing again. Right? And it, again, the focus there is about your belief, about how great your faith can be. When it's not about that. I think a great example of this, it is about Christ's grace, Christ's faith, right? So a great example of this would be an example of uh, a kid climbing on a tree, right? And let's say there's a little tiny thin branch that's probably going to break if that kid goes and jumps on it. I think about myself, my chunky little self as a, as a kid. A lot of branches would not hold me, right? And today, a lot of big branches wouldn't hold me. But I, th- I see a little thin branch, and I say, I have a lot of faith in that branch, I believe that that branch, you know, you might even say, I'm going to speak over that branch and say, it's going to hold me. Is that branch going to hold that person? Not at all, right? doesn't matter how strong his faith is in that branch. If that branch is weak, it will not hold him. Let's say you take this, this same kid and put him in another tree, and there's this huge trunk, this branch that will never break. And that kid is kind of is kind of weary wary of it. He's kind of saying, uh, maybe I, I kind of have some faith that this branch is going to hold me, but n- but not not completely sure if it will. Right at that point, does it matter how great that kid's faith is, or does it matter how strong the branch is? It matters how strong the branch is. Likewise, our faith, it's not about our faith. It's not about how great your faith can be in prayer. It's not about how great you are and how uh, uh, great words you use, how these big words that, sh- that you use are, how often you pray. Rather, it's in how great our God is and how strong and unbreakable He is. Asking and seeking and knocking, the focus in that is on Him. Ask. Seek and knock. We should constantly be doing these things, asking, seeking, and knocking to be changed by Jesus. Right? Because again, we've established that, that our greatest need is not something physical. It's not something material. Our greatest need is to be changed by Christ. Is to be led by His Spirit. Is to be made more and more like Him. So again, that question, do we love and desire to become like Jesus today? Ask yourself that question. I love the way D.A. Carson explains this passage. He says, This kind of prayer is not an occasional pious request for some isolated blessing, but in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, prayer that is a burning pursuit of God. Right? So D.A. Carson is saying, it's not this one-time thing, God, I really want this car, or I really want this promotion, or I really want this house, or I really want this, this person to marry, or I really want to be healed from this cancer. It's not about that. It's this burning pursuit of God each and every day. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to be made more like you. It's this burning passion to become more like Christ, realizing that if cancer kills us, 
or if starvation kills us, or if we never get the dream career, or we never get the dream salary, or we never get the dream car, or the dream house, or the dream family, that none of that matters in eternity. That none of those things matter here. The only thing that matters is Christ and Him crucified. The only thing that matters is that Jesus is changing us and making us more like himself. That's what Jesus is calling us here, to ask and to seek and to knock, as D.A. Carson explains it, as a burning pursuit of God. Is that how we pray? Only someone, the only way we can do this is when we are uh, bankrupt spiritually. The only, the only person who will ask to be changed by Jesus is someone who is bankrupt spiritually. Flip back a little bit to Matthew chapter 5. Hold your finger in Matthew 7. And look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus first opens this up, look at the very first beatitude or the blessed that he opens up with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right, So everything that Jesus is about to preach here, there's a reason why he opened it up with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything that he was about to preach cannot be done by someone who trusts in their own righteousness, cannot be done by someone who is puffed up, by someone who is prideful, by someone who says this is about me and my efforts. It can only be done by those who are poor in spirit, by those who, like the tax collector that was with the Pharisee that beat his chest and said, God, forgive me, a sinner. It can only be done by someone who approaches the throne of God, with humility, knowing there is nothing good in me, save Christ alone. The only person that can do this is is like Paul, who when we realize we are the chief of sinners, that we need grace, we need Jesus. That's the only way that we will ask and seek and knock, is when we realize our spiritual depravity, when we realize our spiritual bankruptcy. And this will allow us to see the beauty and glory of of Christ more and more and more. Right? Christ's beauty doesn't change, but our perception does. We will begin to see Jesus as more and more beautiful to us each and every day. The, The more we realize it's about him and not us. The more that we ask and seek and knock, we will begin to trust in him. Let's continue on. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. Go to verse 9. Oh, what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? It's kind of a funny picture that Jesus uses here, right? It's funny. It's also kind of heartbreaking if you think about that kid. But, right, so Jesus just pictures this, this kid here saying, Hey, Dad, I, I need some bread. I'm kind of hungry. And his dad just gives him a, a stone that looks like a bread, piece of bread, right? How cruel would that be? We wouldn't do that. And again, Jesus reiterates this in a different way. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Right? So fathers in the room, think about your kids. If they asked for something, for for food, for something to eat, you would not give them um, a snake or bread or something that, or ramen or whatever else is terrible, right? You would not give them something like that. You would feed them because you love them. And then Jesus compares this to God. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I love the wording Jesus uses here. He says, if, if you then, being evil, right? He just calls every father in the entire world evil, right? Because we are in comparison to, to God. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to us? We can trust that. Why would God not meet our, our needs when he has already given us the very thing that we need most, which is, which is himself, which is Christ, dying on the cross for us, taking all of the wrath of God for us upon himself, and rising again, and ruling, and offering us new life. Why would he not meet our other needs? Augustine says it like this, For what would he not now give to sons when they ask, when he has already granted this very thing, namely, that they might be sons? As orphans, as spiritual orphans, our greatest need is to be sons and daughters of God. And now, when God gives that to us, what else? Right? Why would he deny us the things that we need, our real needs? We can see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Jesus was given for us. Our greatest need has been met for those who are in Christ. How will he also not give us the things that we need? What kind of a father would say, hey, here's this this thing you need. Now go do it on your own, right? I don't want to have anything else to do with you. It's not That's not what God does. He is the good father. And how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So even earthly fathers, we see this, this idea that Jesus uses. Even earthly fathers who, who he calls evil know how to give good gifts to their children. Right? We see that this picture in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 49. I'm going to go there real quick. Isaiah 49, 15. God uses this picture of a mother. And I, he uses a mother because fathers sometimes do forget. Isaiah 49.15, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Mothers, just think about when you had that little baby, right? There was nothing that was going to, to make you forget that baby. Not even sleep, unfortunately, was going to make you forget that baby. How much more so does God not forget his children? Does God love his children? Does God love us and not forget about, uh, forget about us? And he has not abandoned us. As Jesus tells us later on in Matthew, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That Jesus, who is ruling and reigning, who all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, is the one who watches over us, is the one who loves us, is the one who will freely give us all things, as Romans 8 tells us. God freely gives us good gifts, what is best for us. Now this, of course, does not mean he will give us everything we ask for. Right? God does not give snakes even when we ask for it. If you take your little two-year-old to the pet shop and, and he wants to hold the, the rattlesnake, 
You don't say, okay, because you asked, I'm going to give this to you, right? I don't know why there'd be a rattlesnake in a pet shop, but let's pretend there was, right? You wouldn't give that little two-year-old this rattlesnake, no matter how much they asked for it, no matter how much they wanted that snake. You wouldn't give that to them. Likewise, when we ask for a snake, and we do oftentimes, or when we ask for a stone, God will not give those things to us. We may not realize that those things are snakes at the time. You may be asking for that dream job that you want. God, I need this job. I need this promotion. I need this amount of money. When in reality, God sees that what this will do is change your heart away from God to trust more in money and more in that job and he will not give you a snake again we've established our greatest spiritual need is not more money not more food not better things but it's jesus and to become more like himself so even when we ask for a snake that could come in the form of god i have cancer and i want you to heal me that may not be god's will your ultimate Good might be for you to die of cancer. And if we're in Christ, we can go back to Romans 8.28 and know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him. Again, Christ has eternity in mind, and we're thinking earthly things. God will not give us a snake or a stone, even when we ask for one. He does this. We must remember, in order to do this, we must remember that He ultimately knows good. He is determined good. He in his infinite wisdom is the one who determines good. Go to Job chapter 38. We're going to camp there for a minute and read. I'm just going to read some of Job chapter 38. After Job has complained and just wanted to die, right? And we see this terrible advice that his friends give him. And he's wondering why God would do these things to him. He's wondering why God would would allow all his children to die and take away all his riches and everything he has. Why he would allow Job's wife to say, just curse God and die. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors. Then I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken." Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all these things. Skip ahead to verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? 
Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Or who has put wisdom in the innermost being? Or who or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wonder without food? And God continues to go on like that. Asking Job these questions, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I did these things, right? As God begins to to list off these things that only he could do, that only he did. Therefore, he has infinite wisdom. Therefore, because we are his creation, he ultimately knows what is good for us. Too often our prayer life goes something like, God, I need this. Please give this to me. And we act like God is an ATM machine who, who begrudgingly gives us things that we, that he says, ah, this might not be good for you, but, but since you asked, here you go. God is too good of a father for that. He will not give us a snake or a stone even when we ask for it. A good father will use the wisdom he has to assess what is good for his child and what isn't. When your child asks for something that you know is going to be harmful for them in the future, you will not give it to them. When your child asks for something good that you know that they need, you will give it to them. God, even more so, being the ultimate good father, does the same in his infinite wisdom, can assess the situation, and he knows in his infinite knowledge what to give us and what not to give us. What is going to be for our good, for those who are in Christ, for his children, and what isn't. He will give us bread. He will give us fish. He will not give us a snake or a stone. He is the good, good father. Good father. In all this, we must surrender to God's will and remember that his plan is greater than ours. Again, going back to the Lord's Prayer, the the model that Jesus set for us when he said, not my will, but your will be done. As he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the, the cup of God's wrath is placed before him, and he says, not my will. He says, if there's any way, take this cup away, but not my will, but yours be done. God didn't even keep his one and only son from suffering. What makes us think he will keep us from suffering if it is for our good? He will not give us a snake even when we ask for it. Again, through all this, when we're saying, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? When we believe that God will only do what is for our good, we can, we can trust in him and we can keep eternity in mind, knowing that even if I die here on this earth, unsuccessful, not healed, without riches, without my dream career or my dream house or my dream family or any of those things, we are still blessed. We are still God's children and we will still live with him in eternity. And we have nothing to worry about. Keep eternity in mind through all this. 10,000 years from now, what will we look back on and say that mattered and that didn't? The only thing that truly matters is Christ. And him alone will we be changed by him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you 
that you are the good, good Father. God, thank you that we can ask and seek and knock, and you are not a Father who will yell at us and tell us to get out of here. You are not a Father who will neglect us. You are not a Father who will beat us. You are not a Father who will do things for our harm. You're a good Father who will do things only for our ultimate good and for your ultimate glory. God, thank you that you in your infinite wisdom will not give us a snake even when we beg for it. You will only do what is good within our lives. God, change our hearts, change my heart. Make me more like you. King Jesus, draw hearts into yourself like only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the invitation, as it is every week, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, um, you are welcome to do that today. But also, um, if we have not been able to see God as a good father, which is a difficult thing, feel free to come and come and pray that God would reveal his goodness to you. Thank you.